namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namassa So today was one of our monthly Silent Sunday practice days, but uh, hardly anybody turned up, uh, not the normal crowd anyway. May well be because it was uh, so cold and people didn't want to go out. Or it might be because um, people were busy going out shopping. I hear that's what happens. Tanpunya was telling me that the... Uh, Two weekends before Christmas is rather a busy time for people. And I am aware that uh, things do get busy. With the festive season approaching. And sometimes it can be quite, uh, and I'm aware it can be quite difficult for people. There's sometimes family issues coming up, financial issues coming up food issues coming up, mm. booze issues coming up, <laughs> precepts. Uh, it's a potent time. And also, on top of all that, it's, um, or I suppose even behind all that, because it is originally to do with um, the seasons of the year, uh, the days are, are very lo- uh, very short at the moment. The nights are very long, so there's not a lot of sunlight around, and that does tend to... Uh, make some people rather depressed. So, yeah, a lot of people feel challenged at this time of year, and and so sometimes it, it, we do, people do ask, you know, now how do I practice under these sort of conditions, you know, when yeah. feeling burdened mm-hmm. by the weather, by family, by relationships, by money, I think that's a very good question to, to, to be, what's the word? Assessing is perhaps not quite the right word, but to reading you know, our practice. Because when, when conditions are really favorable, uh, when it's lovely summer and you can sit beside a brook under a nice rowan tree and read poetry and thermos flask of green tea and and then sit in meditation and and everything is lovely and you come back to the monastery and there's lovely company and and uh, all the equivalent thereof when conditions are agreeable and practice goes fine well yeah we can feel pleased with ourselves and pleased about practice uh, but perhaps that's not the most useful way to get a reading of where we're at in our practice Yes. When, when we are feeling burdened by family things, weather things, physical things, yeah, then to still be checking, how am I doing? How's my practice going? Or as Dajan Chai used to say, you can't judge a monk by how he is when he's sitting meditation. 
you, you can tell where they're at with their practice on a festival day when there's uh, all sorts of sight, sound, smells, taste, touches and mental impressions that stir the mind up. Uh, how are we doing? So anyway, when, when we feel, find ourselves asking, you know, how do I practice in this situation? Well, I think to uh, feel good about that. You know, so to, we, you know, we're reading our practice, how are we doing? Because uh, we're all getting older. Conditions as we get older tend not to always get more agreeable until eventually, um, from what I'm told, they become thoroughly disagreeable. You know, all your friends and family are dead and, uh, and you're about to go too. And it's not much fun. So that's pretty disagreeable. So we don't want to just assess our practice when things are going fine. We're saying, when are we having a hard time to say, how are we doing? So one of the things I would suggest is uh, we notice uh, the, our willingness to begin again. Hmm? Not looking at how many times we get lost and then feeling bad about it. As I, I say regularly in the, in the meditation instruction that when the mind wanders and then comes back to the meditation object, that's a time to feel good because what we want to happen has just happened. We've remembered, we've come back. And if at that point when the mind comes back, we start judging ourselves and complaining, say, oh, my mind is hopeless, my meditation is hopeless, it's always wandering. Well, we just lost it again. It's like, it's like taking a shower and then going and getting all dirty again. Yeah, it's a, kind of unfortunate, really. So when the mind comes back, and we, we begin again. And, and we, what I'm suggesting is that we do this consciously. We consciously begin again. We like learn to cultivate willingness to begin again. That's it. And it's quite possible to do when, you, when the tendency of the mind is to get judgmental and, and critical of the, 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 having lost the meditation object. You say, don't need to do that. Right? Inhibit that. Inhibit that. Just, and, uh, we measure our practice by our willingness to begin again, not by how many times we forget. Because, in fact, if you, every time you forget, it's an opportunity to begin again. Now, you might think, oh, that's a bit of a, you know, a, bit of a gloss you're putting on it, but it's actually also true. The more often we begin again, the more we learn. And so we can transpose this also onto our daily life practice. You get caught up in something, whether it's spending money. You know, oh, I spent too much money today. Okay, begin again. I won't spend so much tomorrow. Or I ate too much today. Okay, I admit it, I ate too much today. I won't eat so much tomorrow. Uh, or getting caught up and, and worrying. What about my mother-in-law? What about my father-in-law? Have I remembered everybody? Getting anxious, getting caught up in anxiety. Oh, I can't stand this Christmas period. I want to just run away and hide. And, and uh, as soon as you remember, begin again. So remember that the, the increased willingness to begin again. And one of the things we can do to... Uh, to bring ourselves back to beginning again is to introduce little techniques. Somebody wrote to me the other day about this practice they have with programming their mobile phone. Somebody in America said that they, uh, they, they find the uh, encouragement to, to be mindful of here and now, body, mind, judgment-free awareness, really, really helpful. Uh, that's just those three points. And, and, but they, 
keep forgetting. So what they've done is program their mobile phone on regular periods. to It's on silent mode, not to ring, because that wouldn't really be very pleasing to you your workmates, but to be on silent mode and so every so often to go to vibrate and and then this person just stops and comes back again. Here and now, body, mind, judgment, free awareness, just remember. You know? So little techniques that we can introduce or you can even put little post-it notes up on your computer or something, begin again. In other words, to make a, a conscious practice out of beginning again and, and what it does is it it can serve to undermine the momentum we have of self-criticism. And it's opportunities to be critical of ourselves. I mean, you know, we're all so ignorant. You know. <laughs> it's obvious that we're making mistakes all over the place. But to be judging ourselves for making mistakes, of being conceited, being arrogant, being angry, being ungrateful, whatever, if we focus on that all the time, well, then we just we do get depressed. It doesn't take, you know, a lack of sunlight to make us depressed. Our own minds can make us depressed. But our own minds can also enliven us, uh, can encourage us. It's, and so using our ability to reflect you know, what works, what helps, uh, measuring this ability and this willingness to begin again helps. And still, there can be a question, you know, am I practicing rightly? And often people will ask, how do I know if I'm practicing rightly? There's so many possibilities of practice. You can read so many books and listen to so many Dhamma talks. And How do you know? How can I know I'm, I'm practicing rightly? And Well, this is one of the measures that we can use this willingness to begin again. Also, uh, a sense of contentment. And if our practice is, is going in the right direction, well, then there will be measurable, noticeable moments of, of uh, increased moments of contentment. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we're contented because we got what we wanted, but that even when we don't get what we want, we can bear with it. Yeah. Or we're willing to bear with it. And this very question of, am I practicing rightly? This is another question to feel good about. You know, sometimes when these questions arise in practice, you know, how do I know if I'm practicing rightly? Uh, is my practice going in the right direction? How do I practice under these conditions? We can hear the question as some sort of a... a, 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 a a judgment on ourselves. If I knew what I was doing, I wouldn't have any questions. And so I think, where do those questions come from? Yeah. Those questions come out of an interest to get it right. Those questions come out of a good place, an inherently good place. And so if the question arises, it's a doubt, if you call it that, of, how do I know if I'm practicing rightly arising? We can welcome that question. Don't just perceive it as some sort of a sign that we're not confident in our practice. In the beginning, it's actually important to feel confident about our practice, and to get, relatively speaking, a, a sense of, of, uh, of confidence. And, and, and it's fine to ask also. This is, 
Uh, something I always encourage people to do, to never be afraid of asking questions. Come to the monastery or if you don't live near a monastery, you can write emails and ask your questions. You know, the Buddha was never afraid of people asking questions. He was afraid of people who didn't ask questions. Yeah. So the feeling of doubt about practice is also something that that we can turn our attention around and look look at directly. You know, the, in the beginning, as I said, to have a relative sense of confidence in practice is important. To read books, to speak to teachers, to speak to those who've walked the path longer than we have and, and find a relative sense of confidence that, yes, this is going in the right way and, and then to find our own little tricks for, for encouraging ourselves to re- begin again and to come back. And uh, But that's not necessarily going to do away with the feeling of uncertainty about practice. So when we're in situations like going through pressure, whether it's the time of year or a medical condition or a relational situation, and the doubt about practice arises, uh, uh, am I practicing rightly? Well, if we've prepared ourselves enough, if we've prepared ourselves in the right way, then even that question is something that can make us strong. Even the very question or the doubt about, am I practicing rightly, is a feeling. If we just approach it as a mental uh, formation and we're lost in our heads... We go round and round and round with the story in our heads. Am I practicing right? This, the book, this book said this, that book said that, this teaches it this, that teaches it that. And go round and round and round and no perspective on it at all. And it is really confusing and very unpleasant. And you go and ask this person, should I do this? And they say, yes, you should do this. And you, somebody says, no, you shouldn't do this, you should do that. And say, well, what should I do? And, and it's always like that, really. Yeah. Whatever we read or whatever anybody else tells us, if we've got the kind of mind that most of us have with the kind of education we've had that makes us question and inquire, then it's very easy to come up with the doubt, a feeling of uncertainty. So in this practice, actually, we need to get to the point where we don't settle for a relative sense of confidence and security that comes from somebody telling us, yes, you're doing the right thing, but we tune into the willingness that that can open up to the very feeling of being uncertain about practice. And so then it becomes a question of of the very way that we relate to these kind of thoughts and feelings. You know, the feeling that we have in the body of uncertainty, if we've never stopped and looked at it, really stopped and looked at it, really here and now, what does it feel like to be uncertain? Are we have that feeling of uncertainty. We go and find somebody to tell us we're doing the right thing again here. Or read a book or whatever. And we, we, we deal with it that way. We're basically coping, but we're not really addressing it. But if we time comes when we're ready to address it, we come back and we don't just believe in the way it appears. We feel the feeling of uncertainty as a feeling. And the whole body-mind, here is this state. This is a sensation. You, know, you feel it in 
your throat or you feel it in your shoulders or you feel it in your head or you feel it in your stomach. I don't know. Am I doing the right thing? Is this practice going in the right direction? Is this practice going to... There's a kind of daring, really. Because the fear comes up, well, if I don't reassure myself with the certainty that I'm doing the right thing, well, then maybe I won't be doing the right thing. And that's how it goes. And that's why it does take faith. It's an act of faith or an act of trust in the power of awareness, the power of awareness itself. That means we're willing to step back and inquire into this impermanent, unsatisfactory, not-self condition called uncertainty. It does. It takes an act of faith. But so long as we're caught in the desire to be certain, which is a conditioned desire, I like to be certain. Conditioned. I really do. I really like to feel secure. I like the sense of security that comes with being convinced I know what I'm doing and I'm doing the right thing. I really do. But the good news is that that I that really gets off on feeling sure about something is contained in a larger reality. That that I is also a a condition. It's a formation. And so the question, am I going the right direction? Is my practice going the right direction? Can I cope with this? I see that as an opportunity. I see that's not as an indictment and lack of confidence. Are we willing to look at the way we hold, look at the way we pick up? We can ignore it and say, oh, I should have certainty or you know, uncertainty or a lack of confidence is a, is a bad thing. We take a position against it and say, doubt is bad, I've got to get rid of it. Well, then we never really learn. And so it keeps coming back, keeps coming back. We keep dependent upon books or somebody else to reassure us. We're not really turning to Dhamma for security. We're turning to Dhamma for security, not words about Dhamma, but actually turning to Dhamma for security. Well, then we engage awareness, we engage mindfulness, and we look at that feeling. And then what happens is we we learn, we discover we can change the way that we hold that feeling. We change the way we hold our doubts. We change the way we hold our opinions. The opinions we have. I am good. I know what I'm doing. I am bad. I don't know what I'm doing. In the beginning in practice, we find that the, we hold on to something with, you know, with a great deal of clinging, these views of ourselves. And it's, relatively speaking, okay. You know, I need to know, relatively speaking, that I'm doing the right thing. It's relatively important. But after a while, even that's going to be challenged. Everything we hold on to is going to be challenged. All our views and opinions are going to be challenged. Even the opinion we have of ourselves as being somebody who knows what they're doing. And that's not a bad thing. If we're clinging to an opinion, then we don't really know what we're doing. It's a conditioned idea that we know what we're doing. And so this is this is also a really helpful thing in practice when we start to investigate in this way because we discover we can let go. We can let go. And the world doesn't disappear. Yeah. So from the conditioned, deluded ego perspective... There are all these ideas and opinions that we have about ourselves and others and about the world that appear like we've got to hang on to them forever. They're precious. We, we somehow we go for refuge to the world. We don't really go for refuge to Dhamma. So our refuge is in our views and opinions. And even the precious, apparently precious views and opinions we have, we start to see, well, actually, I don't have to hold on to that. 
And then the question arises, well, is there anything that comes up in my mind that I have to hang on to? And that becomes the barometer for practice. You start to see, actually, let go of that too, let go of that too. That's not precious. It appeared precious. That opinion appeared precious. And there's a wonderful feeling starts to emerge. Actually, there's nothing. You start to get this intuition. There's nothing. There's nothing at all that we have to hang on to. And then the thought arises, well, what, what, what's going to happen to me? Don't have to hang on to that thought either. Or the fear that comes with that thought, we don't have to hang on to that thought either. A few weeks ago, I was, I was giving a talk about not making anything out of anything. A wonderful discipline, a wonderful practice. Thoughts come up in the mind. Greedy thoughts come up. Don't make anything out of it. Say, oh, I should make something out of it. Oh, I'm a bad person. You don't make anything out of it. Angry thoughts come up. Don't make anything out of it. And little by little, we get a feeling for the freedom that comes from not making anything out of these things. And we start to see more clearly. We see that actually making something out of things all the time is what clouds our minds, clouds our hearts. But if I don't make something out of the fact that I just spent far too much money, well, then I'll go and spend far too much money tomorrow. Well, there's a certain kind of limited logic in that. But it hasn't helped in the past. It hasn't stopped us in the past, so we can try something else. Out of faith, out of trust, out of confidence in the power of mindfulness, investigation. We inhibit the tendency to make something out of it and say, I shouldn't be this way and get off on feeling guilty or whatever. I failed my mother-in-law again. Don't make anything out of it. I hate my sister again. Don't make anything out of it. Well, what happens when we discover that we can hate our sister momentarily and then realize that's what's going on and not make anything out of it, we can actually fall back into an awareness which is even compassionate for ourselves, for our limitations. We can have all these limitations, but we can learn from them. We can have all these limitations. None of them are fixed unless we make them fixed. And so this gradual dawning realization that there's nothing in our mind that has to disturb us, nothing in our hearts that has to upset us. There's nothing in our hearts or mind that is precious that we hang on to. There's nothing precious enough to hang on to. In Buddhism, no thing is precious. No condition is precious. The only thing that's precious is not a thing, and that's the heart that's freed from all tendencies to cling to anything. So that's probably a wee way off for most of us, but we can still work with what we've got. And when we find ourselves being caught up in something and being challenged by our limitations again, don't make anything out of it. But I should make something. Do I really believe that? Do I really think I have to make something out of it? Well, if we do, that's something worth looking at. Because guaranteed it'll pass away. Guaranteed it's not the way it appears to be. And then we realize the benefit of, of operating in this way of trust, trusting and letting go. We can't always feel convinced because sometimes we come across things that we do feel are precious. Real opinions we have about ourselves or about the world, it just, it just shouldn't be this way. Injustice. Injustice. That's so unjust. And we're busy meditating and, and the thought of injustice comes up. It just shouldn't be this way. Just, can I let it go? Well, I don't want to let it go. Oh, very interesting. So, well, I shouldn't. If I let this one go, the world will come to an end. Really? <laughs> well, that's what it feels like. So, but it's so unjust. So, fall back into the awareness. It just sees that. What are we hanging on to? 
Why are we making something out of it? Does it really help to make something out of it? What is the effect of letting go of it? Does it disappear? So, what about the love we feel for, for people? I mean, parents with their children. Like, my children are precious. Well, what happens if they die? Because yeah. they will one day, or you will. Yeah. Yeah. Is anything really worth hanging on to? Is it, well, if I let go of my love for my children, then I won't love them anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, just momentarily try and not make anything out of that thought and see what happens. Well, what happens is that thought falls away and the love's still there. Yeah. We don't have to hang on to it. We don't have to grasp it. Mm. That which is real remains. What falls away is what we add to it. So all the views and opinions we have about things, the injustice, the the greed, the the resentment, the passionate indignation we feel about things. I had a moment of indignation a few days ago. I read that they're going to kill 10 million turkeys so they can celebrate love and compassion in a few days' time. Ten million turkeys. I just think that's so unnecessary, really. Uh, uh, How about a hundred million tons of tofu? Uh, That's a much better idea. Now, that's, that's an opinion that I have. That's an opinion. Now, if I was really attached to that opinion, then I could ruin my meditation. In fact, it did come up in my meditation. Do I have to make anything out of it? I just wish they wouldn't do that. I don't think it's necessary. So what about, what is it? There's 17,000 tons of Brussels sprouts are going to be eaten. Well, I think that's fine. I think people should eat more Brussels sprouts. That's the equivalent of 37 jumbo jets, in case you wanted to know. It's much better than 10 million turkeys. Yeah. Well, your mind can dwell on feeling compassionate for the turkeys and indignant about it. And then if you do that, what happens? Reading our condition, how does it feel? Is it cool? Is it calm? Is it clear? What happens when we get indignant, impassioned, enraged? But it feels so justified. It feels so justified sometimes to get enraged about things that are not fair, not right, that are wrong. What happens to the mind? What happens to the mind? The mind gets confused. The whole body mind gets stirred up. The energy, what does the energy feel like in the the body when you let yourself get indignant about 10 million turkeys? Didn't help at all. And the doubt comes up. If I let go of my indignation, then they'll get away with it, or some such thought. Yes? That thought's there in the mind. But we don't have to make anything out of that thought either. So this is the kind of investigation that we can make when we feel challenged by being under pressure, feeling like, is my practice going in the right direction? How do I know if I'm practicing right? Well, we can turn the light of awareness around and actually feel the feeling of uncertainty. In the beginning, yes, it's important. It's relatively important. It's quite important that we have a conventional sense of confidence that we're going in the right direction. We should give ourselves enough of that until we get to the point where 
the very feeling of uncertainty that happens when we're feeling pressured, when we're feeling challenged, you know, is something that we can also honour as something to teach us. That's a very different perspective. You know, instead of seeing these doubts as, as mere hindrances to confidence, but they actually become our teachers. And it is, it's a shift. A shift takes place, sometimes gradually, sometimes more suddenly in practice. A shift from being impressed by the pleasant feeling that comes from feeling sure as a conditioned ego me. A shift from that to a quiet, a quiet sense of certainty. In fact, silent sense of certainty, a silent sense of confidence that emerges with, in association with an awareness that's willing to look at the feeling of uncertainty. It's a different good feeling. Yes, there's a good feeling comes from, I know what I'm doing. But that's the same good feeling that fundamentalists have. Yeah, you, yeah. I was watching recently an interview with somebody who runs a church who has 19,000 people come on, <laughs> on a Sunday. 19,000 people fly into his church. He took over a stadium somewhere, I think it's in Texas. And 19,000 people fly in for the service, which was a little bit more than Ajahn Punya had this afternoon <laughs> for our silent Sunday practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was watching this interview with this guy, and he was certain. He was very certain. But there was, what, what I found a little frightening was there was no room for uncertainty. It seemed to me there was no room for uncertainty. And, and uh, so these days my own feeling is that uh, uncertainty is not an enemy. Not an obstruction. It can appear that way. That's what the world will tell us. It's so, it's so easy to feel that way. But it's only easy that way, easy when we're still feeding on the egoic convention of believing in ourselves. Yeah. That's, but that's the sense of me. It's just, it's just another, it's just another condition. Yeah, like I said before, it's like, it's like a rainbow. You know, you're, you're, a rainbow really looks. Lovely. Rainbows are lovely. And, you know, when you don't know about rainbows, you think that they are something. And you make something out of them. And you believe a rainbow is a thing. And, and then, but maybe as you go towards the rainbow, if you're studying and observing and watching, well, then you learn, actually, the closer you get to the rainbow, the more you start to see through it. You see through the rainbow. You say, oh, this rainbow is just a play it's just a play of light. It's a trick. Or so it is with this me, this feeling of me. It's a play of consciousness. And the closer we get to it, the closer we start, the more we start to see through it. And it's a wonderful thing. So when this me feels challenged, you know, whether whatever relationship, health, pressure, feelings, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. So long as we're prepared, so long as we're ready, so long as we're willing to keep beginning again. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.